Hi, I'm Lauren. I'm Tia. And this is the Journey to Transformation. Welcome. Welcome back, everyone. What are you drinking? I'm drinking an IPA. Yeah. What does IPA stand for? Pale India Ale. India Pale Ale. That's right. And it's called Beaver Town. Heavy gravity. It's a very cool can. All sorts of planets and stuff on it. Mm. It's um, very eye-catching, I imagine. Mm. It is very eye-catching. I think that brewery is very well known in this part of the world, especially for the uniqueness of its cans. Oh, is it? Okay, mm. that's cool. What are you drinking? I am drinking a good old-fashioned vodka soda, fresh lime. Nice, all done. That sounds very refreshing. It sounds a bit like a summer drink. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, nice. I mean, any drink. You're drinking in the summer. In my mind, it's a summer drink. <laughs> Why are we drinking today? It's been a heavy day. But before we go there, there's something I meant to say that I've just remembered that I wanted to say. Oh. <laughs> this is going to be intro, but okay. Okay, so we haven't actually spoken that much on a podcast, and when that happens, I accumulate lots of things that I need to say. So we don't use Twitter that much. In terms of activism or whatever, or like tweeting. Anyway, I go on it quite a lot. And I came across my new favorite account in the whole world. Do tell. And it's about t-shirts that have been misspelt or like, you know, are wrongly oh, written or have yeah. been printed wrong or whatever. And it's a whole Twitter account dedicated to it. I fucking love it. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to show me some of your favourites? I'd love to. Okay. So there was a cap. I don't know if I can find the picture, but there was a, a baseball cap. And the phrase was meant to say, you had me at coffee, but it said you had meat coffee. <laughs> 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 I was like, I love it. I want that baseball <laughs> and actually, it, I, when I travelled to Myanmar some years ago, there was an amazing market stall that had all of these in. Yeah. And one of them, instead of saying shuttlecock, which is, as we know, is what you use for badminton, it said shuttle dick. <laughs> and <laughs> a picture of it. <laughs> I was like, I love it so much. Yeah. Anyway, um, I'll put this account in the show notes. If anyone else like me loves a bit of a, a misspelled or a misworded t-shirt, you can go and check it out. Okay. Maybe we should make some of this available for some merch for people. Yes, absolutely. That'd be very cool. While we are on the topic of merch, we are both drinking out of our fancy, super sexy, bleeding heart, liberal do-gooder pint glasses that are available. Mine's actually got... A cat hair in it. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Yours will not come with a cat hair in it. Don't <laughs> worry. But these are available to our first 50 patrons on Patreon. So come and join us there where you get access to bonus content, events, merch, all that good stuff. First 50 people to sign up get a free pint glass. Whoop. No excuses. Head on over. Indeed. Why are we drinking? Yeah, sorry, I did interrupt that, but I feel like it was a funny thing that I needed to get out. Yeah, good, because good to interrupt a somber thing with a funny thing. Well, well, you know, this episode is going to be pretty deep, I think, and we're drinking because we both recently watched the UN documentary that's on BBC Two called Whistleblowers of the UN. And it's basically a documentary dedicated to telling the stories of whistleblowers in the UN. Is it called Whistleblowers in the UN or UN Whistleblowers? I'm not sure. Should I just double check? Yeah, let's just... Yeah, let's just. Oh, gosh, my last search was about beetroot. <laughs> <laughs> it's called The Whistleblowers, colon, Inside the UN. And you can find it on BBC iPlayer. We'll put it in the show notes. So we both recently watched that and we came away feeling pretty... Fucked shit. off. Yeah. yeah. Pretty sad, pretty alarmed and here we are and we felt that we needed to do an episode about it 
Exactly. So this is a spontaneous episode. Most of the stuff we do is, is planned, but off the back of watching that documentary, we felt like it was really important for us to say something both about what we saw there and also some of our own experiences that, you know, a lot of the behavior that's identified in that or that's discussed by the whistleblowers is not unique to the UN. And that's, I think, probably the shocking and sad bit. Yeah, 100%. And maybe just to set the scene a little bit, in our work, the United Nations is quite a prominent figure. I mean, it is in global change and law and politics anyway, but perhaps more... Oops, sorry. We're in the van. more to make. <laughs> So the United Nations is quite significant in our work because they have different organisations that focus on refugees or migration or development, many different kind of organisations, children's protection, education. And so generally when you're working in the humanitarian or development sector, you'll engage with the UN in one way or another, either as maybe a partner or as a donor, someone who is providing you money. So I'd say, and this is again, I don't have a figure off the top of my head, but most of the time you'll interact with the UN if if you're working in our sector as a non-for-profit. So do you want to just describe the documentary a little bit? Yeah, of course. You're um, very good at scene setting, so I thought. <laughs> so yeah, on the back of that, we both thought we needed to watch this because it's about the United Nations and blah, blah, blah. And the documentary just kind of unfolds different people's experiences across some of those organisations that I mentioned. So we're introduced to individuals, men, women, people from different backgrounds and people who've worked for the UN across different years so some for four years six years some even I think up to 20 years and we're introduced to their story and how they became a whistleblower and we're also introduced to people who were victims yes. of some of the nasty nefarious things that happened and so you kind of follow these stories and each person is interviewed, I guess, and given you know a moment to express how their whistleblowing came about, what the harm was that the UN caused for them and a range of things. I think one thing that shocked me when I first watched this documentary is the range of things that people were whistleblowing about. It wasn't just kind of like sexual assault or rape. It wasn't just that one thing. It was actually a huge amount of things. Yep. So people were whistleblowing about corruption, fraud, money laundering, poisoning kickbacks, communities, poisoning communities, sexual assault, also rape, just a huge array of things. Yeah. So they're not just fucked up in one way. They're fucked up in a ton of ways. Even one of them is just terrible. Yeah. But, but it's compounded by the fact that they're. Well, exactly. And that's the scale of it, I think, yeah. is what's shocking. And then across all of those organizations. So the United Nations is made up of, I think, 36 or 37 different organizations some of them i mentioned like unicef we're all very familiar with them you as know. a un children's fund yeah world food program and so on and these were all mentioned in this documentary and also the united nations secretary general who is the leader of the un if you like the one who is a dick is a dick yeah so the leader i don't know what else you'd say <laughs> secretary yeah. general he leads the whole well thing. they describe the different roles that if it was like a country that's he'd be right. president yeah, that's right. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Sorry, everyone. I just tinged my glass on a sink. <laughs> you can only say that if you're in a band. Yeah. The other thing just to mention is that as you sort of follow these stories, some of them are interwoven. Some people's stories are like telling different sides, but also the geography. So it also spans from Pakistan to Haiti to the Central African Republic to Kosovo. So not only the scale in terms of organizations of people but also the geography and i think that's a key reminder for at least for me the power of the un is not just sitting in new york it's kind of spread everywhere you know yeah to as you said earlier to me some of the most vulnerable places in the world yeah it's so, like a cancer yeah it spreads 
literally so yeah that's it unfortunately yeah we both would encourage you to watch it if you haven't seen it and i was quite emotional watching it and i think one of the reasons why i felt well i know one of the reasons why i felt so upset by it is because i know these things happen and i suspect that this is part of the culture of why people don't speak out i mean in fairness this is why we started this podcast right is to talk about the stuff that people don't really talk about like these are the conversations that lauren and i are trying to have are the ones that you're having in the pub when you're just like fucked off with everything that's happened and you're decompressing and you're having these conversations we're just bringing them out into a podcast but i think to a certain extent we've always known that there were things like this that have happened and that we've had our own experiences of dodgy things happening not just with the un but with lots of organizations i think that to have it played back and to see the scale of the problem because for me i can say right my experiences with people working with the World Food Program or UNICEF or the United Nations Development Program, UNDP. I can kind of pass those off as my own individual experiences and encounters. Seeing it in this way and described in the way that it was, it's endemic, it's institutionalized. And I think that was the thing that was so shocking and so surprising to me because it didn't feel any more like a bad apple type of situation, which is how I had perceived a lot of my interactions with different organizations, which is a hard thing to confront because we talk a lot about how you institutionalize culture and how bad behavior is allowed to thrive because organizations create permissible environments for things like that to grow and fester and blossom. But I think, yeah, just that recognition that, oh no, up to the secretary general, this is a wholesale problematic institution. And now I feel on my own crusade to defund it, dismantle it, destroy it completely in favor of solutions that puts money in the hands of people who really need it. Because at the moment, from what I've gathered from my own experiences, coupled with what I saw in the documentary, it's just going into the hands of kleptocrats and people who are benefiting from nepotism and it's not based on merit. And yeah. A bunch of fucking crooks. Yeah, 100%. I've got so much to say in response to that. I completely agree. And I think for me, I knew that quite a lot of these things are going on from stories that passed to me. From generation to generation. Shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Stories that had been like hearsay or passed on, like as I worked in South Sudan and Afghanistan and Sudan and so on. But you kind of hear these things and you go, oh, God, okay. But, you know, that's the UN. They'll deal with it. And I think that's the thing for me knowing that these things go on but actually they weren't dealt with you know there is going to be a bad apple here and there but I still had a trust that these organizations would know what to do about it and so that you know two three years later corruption things that I heard in South Sudan well they must be dealt with by now because those stories were three or four years ago surely it was passed people have moved on they're better stronger whatever and so to find that that's not the case and actually this documentary was telling stories from 2021 which was last year that's really shocking yeah and then also i mean we'll get into maybe a bit more depth about some of the stories but can we just talk about the end bit maybe as well yeah so also the thing that kind of set me off emotionally about this i mean it's it's terrible all the way through but at the end to find these brave brave courageous whistleblowers had been fired yeah by virtue of being part of this documentary i mean yeah which is wild yeah that has such an audacious standpoint from the un is shocking yeah unbelievable for those of the whistleblowers who hadn't been fired already because they had made complaints against assistant secretary generals for sexual assault and rape so you know 
I really, really encourage you to watch it because it's just, you know, it's 90 minutes, compresses a lot of really valuable stuff from a lot of different perspectives. And I think you're just going to be as equally appalled and frustrated. And if you work in the sector, hurt. I was really hurt by what I saw there. One of the whistleblowers explains it really well. And it's this feeling of, you know, when somebody disappoints you, if you don't know them, you don't care about them. You know, that disappointment is really minimal. Maybe it's just an irritation or something like that. But when you believe in something and when you believe that something is good and right and fallible, absolutely fallible when you're working in complex environments, mistakes happen, errors happen. But to watch how it was unfolding as what seemed like willful betrayal of the cause and willful betrayal of the mission and the people who are supposed to benefit from that work. I was just so hurt and so shocked because I was one of those people who wanted to work for the UN in terms of career progression. Sometimes I mentor others. And for myself, what I'll do is I'll find a job description of a role that I really, really want to have. And I'll just work towards building all the competencies around that. I used to do that with UN job posts. I used to pick them out and see how I could be working my career towards something that I thought was going to be massively impactful, global change, something really big. And watching this in concert with my own experiences of people and my engagement with United Nations, I was just absolutely heartbroken. Yeah. I was heartbroken. I appreciate it's member states. Everybody's got their own interests. You can map how countries invest in certain less developed countries and how they then vote in the United Nations for particular things. And there's a whole kind of jockeying. I appreciate that it's effectively a soft and hard power mechanism. I get it. I understand the practical realities and the political realities of what the United Nations is and represents. I just didn't think that that component of it would seep into the organizations that are supposed to be working on human rights, on children's rights, on keeping people safe. Mm. I just didn't think that those things, I don't know, yeah. it's absolutely heartbreaking. I kind of feel a bit like a small child who's being idealistic about, you know, what I wanted to do and what I thought people were doing. Real. Yeah, yeah, literally. Yeah. I kind of went back to that space of someone's like, yeah, Santa's not real. Oh, shit. That's yeah. a bit disappointing. And also because like many of us, we join the sector to do good and to find that the biggest giant in there is actually the biggest perpetrator. Of corruption and criminal behaviour. That's the thing. It's not just negligence. It's not just error prone because I accept that it's a massive mechanism all of those agencies are huge so I get it errors wildness when you're working in a humanitarian emergency things are going to get really fucking hectic as you well know I just didn't think that criminal activity would be able to thrive and flourish in that kind of environment and the thing that really shocked me is I didn't realize that senior officials who work for the United Nations have diplomatic immunity. Mm. I didn't know that. They kind of also talk about it in the documentary. One of the guys was like, I've got this diplomatic immunity and I've got my laissez-faire, which is his UN passport, which means that they can just use that whatever. It's like a free pass to go anywhere. To go anywhere, but to do anything. Yeah, right, right. And he even said, you feel like it gives you a sense of power mm. and exclusivity. You know, I'm not like everybody else. I've got my blue UN passport. So all of these things that kind of put you in that place of I'm above everybody else, that is enabled by all of these things that they get given. 
the primary people who are pulled into or being accused of this behavior or being called out for this behavior are men. They're men in senior positions. The key big stories where it went to like the most senior person, they're all men. Mm. So men in these decision-making roles, these roles where they're given this very, very unique kind of privilege to basically behave like fucking pieces of shit at an institutional level, to a societal level, like the rape of children, the sexual assault of children. It's... I don't even know, I, especially in the case of, I mean, I'm hesitant to give too much away because the stories are best told by the people themselves and not by us. So please do watch it. But when you have particularly UN peacekeeping force, it's in the fucking title, what you're there to do. And if actually what it is and what becomes uncovered is the systematic sexual abuse of children and rape of children fuck off it's abhorrent it's unacceptable and this is in the space of like i accept that all of these things happen i accept that they happen in the world as somebody who was a victim of sexual assault as a child i accept that these things happen to other children they happen to other women men they happen in the world i fucking get it but it's in your fucking title what you're supposed to do and who you're supposed to be and what you represent to people. And if what you're doing is like giving out candy to lure little kids to UN bases, literally fuck off and die. It's just horrible. It's absolutely horrible because you're using a place of privilege. You're using that veil of we're doing the good work. We're here to help. Look at us with our little blue helmets. But actually we are preying on people in the most vulnerable positions in their lives because that's why they're there. They're there because there's a vulnerability a systematic vulnerability and they're there to help and if that's the point at which you're preying on people that's a kind of psychopathy that i can't like it's pathological and i cannot accept a universe where that exists and where all the way up to the top that kind of behavior is allowed to thrive yeah it's fucking disgusting it's like the starkness of those things coming together and i think in the documentary they also mention like the veil of it it is like you don't expect it and therefore that allows it to go on without being challenged because disbelief that that can't be happening as you say these are people who are there to protect so therefore they mustn't be doing that kind of thing the issue with like the un peacekeeping has been known for quite a few years because there was papers written about it in the central african republic and in democratic republic of congo because you know they're from everywhere in the world they are Bangladeshis, Ethiopians, Nepalese, French being transported to be peacekeepers in other countries and the system has just failed everybody who they're meeting in that country because they're just pulling a bunch of men from somewhere and putting them there without giving any kind of safeguarding, PSEA, which is preventing sexual abuse, training, anything at all. And so there was, yeah, a lot of stuff on the failures of that. And I know friends from being in South Sudan who have had, you know, UN peacekeepers follow them into toilets, try and get into their rooms. It's a scary place to be near a UN peacekeeper. It's a scary place to be near a UN peacekeeper. Mm. What a horrifying collection of words. The extent to which I think the prevention of sexual exploitation and abuse as a training is going to solve some of these problems. No, yeah. We, we both know that that's... Yeah, no, I know. I think that there just needs to be some... What there needs to be are consequences. Well, that's the thing. There's like, no consequence. Like, the peacekeeper thing's been over years and no one's done anything about it, as far as I can tell. Yeah. I mean, they've been with, withdrawn to some extent in some places, but not enough. Yeah, they'll withdraw a few individuals, but if you're in a conflict context and that's what you're doing, how are you not a party to other crimes that are being committed? Why aren't you sitting at the tribunal? Yeah. 
But this is the thing about the perpetrators, right, of all of this. They often get to the point where they retire. You know, nothing's done for four or five, seven years, whatever. By that point, they've retired and they're uncontactable or they're off on some yacht in the middle of Indian Ocean and probably never to be found again. And it happens with genocide. People don't get to the International Criminal Court until they're about to die. Or maybe they're already dead. You know, this ability to bring people to justice faster. It's bizarre. Where the national interest comes into doing the right thing, the objectively right thing, I find wild. Why can't we all just agree to do the right thing? And I know... I'm a realist, so I know what the answer to that is. But the part of me that is a bleeding heart liberal do-gooder is still really fucking sad that that happens and that it's systemic Mm. and endemic. That's the part that really just is soul crushing that you can have people, you know, all these lovely liberal white women coming as interns to the UN and being preyed upon. Of which it may not be identifiable to them, right? Yeah. Because they don't know. Yeah. Or, or, oh, this is an opportunity. Yeah. You know, and how could I turn that down? Because It's networking. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, it was kind of like that when I was in South Sudan, you know. It was where lots of people who were starting out in their career ended up alongside lots of older men who had been there for a very long time. And that doesn't really manifest itself well in an environment where people are drinking in a bar and a pub and the community is fairly small and, you know. Yeah. I think the other piece for me is, I mean, we all know shit like this goes down, right? As you're describing. I know when I was living in Cambodia, there was, I was working for a very small organization at the time. And the executive director was fucking all the interns, all the ones he was into. And there were loads of things, just a lot of child safeguarding issues. And when I was working there, I was going to members of the board and saying like, look, we've got a kid here who's broken their arm because one of the tuk-tuk drivers took them on a joyride and they fell out of the tuk-tuk. That's not the approved route. We shouldn't be taking children in that way from their place of residence to the center. All of this is problematic. And I wasn't effectively fired, but it was suggested that perhaps as somebody who raised those problems, I may not be the one who could support a solution. And yeah, I mean, one, it was a shitty organization to work with anyways. But two, that's the kind of dynamic that whistleblowers, I think, end up in. Is it can you be part of a solution when you are the one raising the problems and when there's a concerted retaliation and backlash? I didn't experience as much of that with this organization, but because it was a small expat community and this organization was pretty kind of central to that community, it was very uncomfortable and very awkward from a kind of social dynamic. I didn't experience any kind of professional repercussions, but that wasn't the case for some of the whistleblowers here who found it very hard to find jobs a year plus after leaving the United Nations and the mental health toll that that has. Yeah, wow. You could see in all the faces of the people that were whistleblowing that they'd been through a lot over a really long period of time. And that, I think, is just so terribly sad. It's really sad. The one I couldn't get over is when the United Nations had sent police officers to forcibly commit someone. Yeah. (laughs) It's just when you say it, I'm like, huh? Because this is so hard to, like, wrap your head around. It's a Netflix drama. Like, Yeah, right. But not. Let's just briefly talk about 
Antonio Guterres, who is the Secretary General. I want to read something from Wikipedia and hold on to your head a little bit. Can we rewrite his Wikipedia? We could definitely try. It's yes. a good idea. We can find some people to do that for us, I think. No, we can write it. Oh, you can yeah. edit Wikipedia. Yeah, that's true. That's Although it true. goes through a uh, review process. Does it? Yeah. <laughs> if you know how to rewrite Wikipedia's, get at us. Podcast at gmail.com. Okay, so I'm unfortunately using Wikipedia, but here we go. So you may already know this, but Antonio Guterres was Secretary General for five years, I think, from 2016. And then in 2020, a United Nations Secretary General selection was held mm. June 2021 to choose a Secretary General of the United Nations. Antonio Guterres was the only official candidate for the position. So on June the 8th, 2021, Guterres was unanimously recommended by the United Nations Secretary's Council for a second term at the helm of the organisation. His re-election was ratified by the United Nations General Assembly by acclamation on June 18th, 2021, blah, blah, blah. He commenced his second term on 1st of January this year. That's wild to me. I want to believe that people who could do that job were like, this place is a shit show. Hell no. Right, right. But probably it was like a political maneuvering, jockeying, lobbying deal that forced out anybody else who could maybe reform the United Nations. Which is everything that's wrong with this, right? Yeah. And I think that the other unique thing, and you touched on it earlier about kind of the structure of the UN, is the governing body is essentially member states. Yeah. So, how, you know, when your governing body is made up of Russia and China and the UK and whoever else i don't know how that works yeah. all i know is that in you know work i've done before is that you lobby the person who's the president of the council every month you know yeah. or whichever country because they have influence that month sure but they didn't mention in the documentary a legal council yeah which i'd be curious to know they seem to have quite a bit of influence or they're a good excuse for inaction yeah yeah that's yeah. a really good point i yeah. suspect it's more an excuse for inaction which in the documentary they talk about the fact that oh my legal counsel yeah. have told me i can't and the challenge was well no they advise you you can choose not to listen to them yeah because yeah. they counsel they don't direct you yeah. you are in charge the structure of the united nations and how it's set up i don't really care about that so much because that feels separate and apart from what you can do within that institution how you deal with the diplomatic entanglements of being the secretary general not an enviable position but that's what that job is for. But if you say we have a zero tolerance policy on sexual harassment, sexual assault and rape, and you are emphatically talking about that, then you can do something about that. That's got nothing to do with the member states that you're interacting with. That has nothing to do with that. That's how you run your organization. So the phrase like stinks from the head, that's yeah. it. And he can fuck right off. Come at me. Yeah. I fucking dare you, dude. We can spam his Twitter. Yeah, I've got lots to say. <laughs> we'll do lots of clips where I just say, fuck you, dude, come at me. And then just like make a bunch of memes. hundred <laughs> percent. I'd very happily be a meme if it meant that there was some reform. That's the other thing that really is devastating about this documentary is that they're all like, we want to see it change because we think it can be better. One of the whistleblowers was saying, we are critical friends. We are friends of the United Nations. We want it to be better mm -hmm. because we know it can be an instrument for true transformation, true good work for people who need it to work. Yeah. And that's what's so hard 
is like you're in this relationship with somebody who's really fucking toxic and a terrible person, but you see their potential and you see like if they could just change something or just come to some self-awareness, have their yeah. rock bottom moment and that they can persevere through that and come out the other side as their total unique, authentic self. Yeah. That's kind of what it feels like where I'm just like the darker part of me is just like, no, babe, like that, that bro's nasty. Cut him loose, call the police. Yeah, get out, get out. I've heard people before talk about those kind of toxic relationships that get built with your organization in this sector because of that exact thing. Yep. You have hope, you keep hope because you started this because you had loads of hope. It's very hard to bash that on the head and say it's all gone. Say my dreams are smashed. That's a very hard reality. Yeah. Yeah. It's soul crushing. Oh, I do feel a bit soul crushed. There's a part of me that says you've institutionalized criminal behavior and activity You've institutionalized negligence, financial malfeasance. Okay, fine. What's the proportion of your work that's actually good? And is that enough to balance out how much of a piece of shit you are? Surely not. And I was thinking that actually, all these evaluations that are done, like all that money that the UN pours in. Billions. Billions. Fucking billion dollar industry people. Balance that with the death of 10,000 people in Haiti due to them bringing cholera in. I'm sorry, but one death is enough to shut down an organization, not fucking 10,000. 10,000 without apology, without compensation to the families or from the victims. Right, right. You know, if you're in the work of human rights and humanitarianism, one life is enough. Yeah. 10,000 is... Uh, I can't speak about it. It doesn't yeah. fathom that, that was... an organization can still operate having caused the death of 10,000 people. Yep. And, you know, in some ways it kind of goes back to the member states. Or well, I know that doesn't necessarily have a direct consequence, but there is blood on their hands with all this too. Because... I don't know if we need to save this for the Patreon section. I don't know, actually. I'm going to pause on that for a minute. Are you going to forget? No. Okay. I mean, I do think that there's some culpability across the member states, but I'm not going to let the UN Secretary General, who all the people who've sat in that fucking role, I'm not going to let any of those people off the hook. Thank you, Moon. Your apology to the Haitians. It was garbage. It was trash. It was meaningless. The fact that you did it a few days before you about to bow out, suck it. You are shitty. One of the really key facts that stuck out for me was a third of UN staff have experienced sexual harassment. That's massive. That's huge. Psychotic. The UN is fucking huge. I don't know how many staff work there. That's probably all the women that work there. Right. But that that figure exists means, you know... Not to say that women are the only people who can be sexual assaulted (laughs) and abused, but... Primarily, it is women. And the ab- women who report, just well, to clarify. Well, that's the thing, right? This is what's reported. And yeah. of this documentary, it's the ones that were brave enough to step up. Yeah. And there must be tens, hundreds of others. I'm aware of these people who haven't reported stuff because the systems don't support it. And the worrying thing is this documentary could push it either way yeah. because if you see this documentary and you go to the end and you see that people were fired and they were treated like that when they were courageously stepping forward as uh, whistleblowers I wouldn't want to and unless I felt that I could use it maybe in uh, some ammunition unless I had support of other people and things I don't know but I still wouldn't feel motivated to but this is the thing that I cannot get is I know the United Nations pays well, particularly if you're on a permanent contract. And I know that in our space, that's a rare thing. But what's your soul worth to you? I think that people who, well, you know, we read some Glassdoor reviews about how potentially ill-equipped some of you might be for the workplace. (laughs) So disregard this bit. But having United Nations in your resume, in your 
CV matters to people. You can find something else. If not, come and talk to us and we'll figure it out together. But say something. Yeah, but you say that, but like yesterday I saw on LinkedIn a post, somebody advertised like, do you want a job in the UN? Here's some great jobs available, lists of jobs. Mm. 300 comments from people being like, oh yeah, that's great. Oh yeah, I'd love to work to the UN, blah, blah, blah. But and that was yesterday. I think that that's a lot of the reason why we're doing this episode, because if I was in the States, for example, or if I was living in another part of the world, one, I wouldn't have access to the BBC because you can't access BBC iPlayer outside of the States. So get your fucking VPNs on people. Yeah, well, VPN, and there is actually a way that was posted on 50 shades of age which is a non-profit facebook group just lawrence um, swingers group whatever <laughs> press a <the> button <laughs> <laughs> so there's a way to access it to watch yeah. it okay but my we need to put that in the show notes for this on how people can watch it if they're not in the uk i'll look for it and i also recommend some good vpns and if you don't them. and if you don't have a tv license just say you do and watch it yeah any problems let us know <laughs> but we cannot be responsible for the financial repercussions. <laughs> if there's a technical solution that you're having a hard time with, let us know. Yeah. <laughs> Just to clarify. Oh, God, I forgot my fucking point. What were we talking about? Bullshit. This. You know what? Eat my cooter. <laughs> yeah, good timing. That's what, what I've it? got to say to the Secretary General. What was it? <laughs> What was I talking about? Um, you were talking about watching it, people having access. Oh, yeah. So people. so that LinkedIn, like lots of comments. and Oh, yeah. The job postings. I, I think like, I don't know this and I know I shouldn't speak for other people, but let's say you live in South Sudan. Comparatively, the salaries of non-profit organizations, the UN is much higher than the other non-profit organizations who operate in that space. And so they've skewed quite often yeah. the salaries available. They do it with per diems as well. Right. And therefore you want to work for the UN because that salary has tipping point. So then, you know, whatever about that BBC documentary that's bothering people, whatever, like I have that job that will allow my family to live better in South Sudan in the context in which they are. I think that that. Yeah. Okay. I appreciate that argument. I very much appreciate that argument. But if their presence is actually systematically endangering your community, if you've got the skill set where you are competitive in the United Nations recruitment process, you're going to be competitive for an organization that's not built off corruption, lawlessness, greed, nepotism, dickishness, right? That's what I would say. And as we as a sector move more towards this idea that, you know, people like Lauren are useless, not to me, mm -hmm. incredible value to me. But as more and more terms of references, for example, we were basically pushed out of a bid for a consultancy project because they said, no, we actually want somebody who's based in that country, which is a good thing, yeah, which great. is what we're talking about. Those are good things. It's why yeah. we try and team up with people. It's why we bring on members of teams who are based in the countries in which the project works and we pay them the exact same salary that we're making. It's why we do that. 100%. But I just think, you know, if I worked for Shell and they just dumped a bunch of oil in my backyard, backyard, I wouldn't keep working for them. Sure, I'm making money, but that's a harm to everybody I care about. And I think because I am a bleeding heart liberal do-gooder, I want to care about everybody and 
because I am seeing how systematic the harm the United Nations is doing to all of the human beings that I care about and feel have value. Yeah, I just I, do, I don't know how you can be a part of it because it's clear you can't reform from within. And it's clear from the Glassdoor reviews that we read about the United Nations and the different organizations within that, that you can't reform from within. It's too endemic. It's too entrenched. You can't excise that cancer anymore. It's time to euthanize. <laughs> Okay. Because there's so many different agendas now. There's so many different ways with the localization, although I fucking hate that word. With the localization agenda, we don't need to be funding these big bloated whatevers to be delivering programs in countries that clearly are just born off the back of nepotism, poorly equipped people, bad decision making, and basically a den of criminals. Obviously, some of you are very good. And I do know some people who work for the United Nations who were very cool great and really really trying your idealism is an inspiration to me but also disgusting so stop it come and come and work with lauren and i we won't sexually assault you or give you cholera kinky promise so i think there are other avenues for us to be able to get rid of and dismantle that system that yeah. still means that people get better if not the same amount of care just minus the rapey bits yeah and the cholera bits definitely so watch the documentary we'd love to hear your thoughts on it if you are somebody who has worked for the united nations or currently works for the united nations in any capacity please get in touch with us jrnypodcast at gmail.com because what we want to do is make this a kind of regular opportunity for people to anonymously share their stories and share their experiences we won't share your names we won't share your roles we'll only share the information you tell us to share but we'd like to read out some of your stories so that we can understand how endemic this problem really is although i'm convinced it's just it's fucking everywhere yeah and a call to action from me would be to tell anyone that you know to watch this documentary yep because the expectations of the United Nations don't just sit within nonprofit sectors. Everyone knows that this organization or this, um, what are they called? Disease. Institution. <laughs> Disease exists. Anyone has heard this name. Tell them about this documentary. Tell them they need to watch it. Make them watch it. I yep. just think the more people that watch this and the more people that get angry about it and the more people that understand that these things are happening, the better we can mobilize and start to do something about it. That would be my call to action for anyone listening. Spread the word. One of the things we can do is host a viewing party in the metaverse for some of our close community members on Patreon. Maybe we can open that up as an open invitation. So if it's harder yeah, for idea. you to watch some of these monthly events, that we have we'll open this one up so that wherever you are in the world we'll figure out how to bootleg this thing so you can watch it with us you've seen it twice and you were just as emotional the second time yeah i still cried yeah it's just i cannot underestimate how devastating it was to me yeah to watch so please watch it it is called again the whistleblowers inside the un and yeah. it's on bbc2 check it out we will put links on there lauren's gonna put all her hacks all her vpns on for how you can watch this if you were living yes. overseas and some free vpns so that people don't have to pay to watch it and then we'll figure out a way to i don't know if you are somebody who works at bbc can you just let us know if we can just share this with people yeah, it feels like a really important piece of activism. Come yeah. on, BBC. Come on, BBC. We know some people at BBC. Come on. Come on. Just give us the real. All right. Well, I 
am sad and depressed. My drink is empty. Okay, so do you think we should just end on a positive point? I'm positive I fucking hate the United Nations. <laughs> well, there we go. There we go. And positive. This documentary has come out and it's about time and let's use it. Yeah. Let's take it and use it for what it can be in terms of telling people advocating for yep. better things let's take that away as something that we can do yep. like i said telling people about it let's do it let's catalyze some change people and we're about to talk about this more actually on patreon yes so if you are a member of our patreon community keep listening because we're going to talk about how we really destroy this fucking thing <laughs> More of tears, feelings, and aggression right after. (laughs) Rage, ragey, ragey, rage. So stay tuned. Keep listening if you are a Patreon member. If not, join us on Patreon, www.patreon.com forward slash JRNY podcast, where you get episodes longer than the ones you would normally hear you get access to bonus content videos you can watch this you can watch me slowly getting tipsy and more and more annoyed it's worth a watch trust me (laughs) why are you saying it sarcastic (laughs) i'm not i'm being real thanks for listening i'm tia i'm lauren and this has been the journey to transformation bye for now bye Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Journey to Transformation. Leave us a five-star rating and a written review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Journey to Transformation is written and edited by us, Tia Rogers and Lauren Burrows. Our music comes from Praz Canal.